My refrigerator broke one day and I didn't call a repair person. I didn't go to refrigerator repair school. I went to YouTube, found a person who had a similar problem, followed along, fixed the problem, moved on. And then we go to work and suddenly you can't do that anymore. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. everyone. Welcome to Your Only Human. I am Ben Eubanks, your host, and really glad to have J.D. Dillon here with me today. We're going to be talking about, among other things, his latest book, which is called The Modern Learning Ecosystem. And I'm excited to talk about learning, development, talent, all those kind of good things in this conversation. J.D., welcome. Glad to have you. Hi, Ben. How's it going? Hey, I'm having a blast, my friends, and I'm so excited to dive into this good stuff. You and I have had some fun conversations in the past on webinars and everywhere else. And first time on a podcast, though, so I'm excited to break this barrier here. Before we get into some of the fun stuff, would you take a minute and tell the audience a little more about who you are and what you do, please? I am a learning and development professional who's a particularly strong advocate for supporting the frontline workforce. So my entire career has been somehow involved with supporting and enabling frontline workers. And by frontline workers, I mean the folks who interact directly with your customers and products every day, retail associates, delivery drivers, hotel workers, restaurant workers, and and the like. So I came out of operational management. I used to manage movie theaters and theme parks before getting into learning and development in uh, hospitality environments, contact center environments, logistics environments, and then eventually went into technology. So today I'm chief learning architect at a learning tech company that focuses on frontline employees called Exonify out of Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. I'm in Orlando, Florida. And then I also have my side gig or organization called LearnGeek, which is where I publish a lot of content, wrote my book with ATD, the modern learning ecosystem, and generally tried my best to help people help people is really, I think, what my role is, is to help the people who are responsible for helping people do their best work every day. So that's what I do. Awesome. You've got a way better like elevator pitch than I do. So I've got to work on mine. That's my biggest takeaway from that little bit you shared there. So <laughs> out of any topic you could have chosen, you could have ranged across a lot of things. Why did you write The Modern Learning Ecosystem? Of all the things you could have written about, why this one? Why is this your big focus? Because Elaine Beek marched into one of my session rooms and demanded I write a book on it. And that is actually true. So if anyone's familiar with Elaine, she's written 88 books, I think is the latest total. Elaine, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But she has written a substantial amount of content, a lot of it in partnership with the Association for Talent Development. And it is true story. I was speaking at an ATD Core 4 conference several years ago at this point. And I I knew of Elaine. I'd never met Elaine in person. And I'm facilitating a session. I see Elaine walk in the back of the room. Session ends, she comes up to me, and the first thing she says to me is, you should write a book about that. And I said, hi, Elaine, I'm JD. (laughs) But uh, that was part of the influence. So I I had conversations with different publishers. Like you said, I have a certain set of topics that I engage with or apply or talk about a lot. So there were conversations about exploring different types of themes. You know, top of the list is often frontline worker enablement, because it's where I've spent the majority of my time. But I kept coming back to this idea of a framework that frankly, was present in the very first presentation I ever delivered in learning and development. First conference I ever went to as a speaker included this one diagram that was meant to show 
how I was trying to evolve my strategy and evolve all the tools and tactics that I was applying to get outside the kind of four walls of traditional learning resources, tactics, content technology to better support the organization I was with at the time, which was a contact center environment. And it was that really ugly diagram that kind of followed me throughout the next 10 years to this point. And it started to show up again and again. It's kind of a useful version of what, what should it look like? How should we make decisions differently? How can we provide a more holistic experience that scales more effectively, keeps pace with change, takes advantage of all the things that we can do to help people do their jobs better? And I, over time, refined it down to what I now term the modern learning ecosystem framework or MLE framework. And it just kind of became that thing that I anchored a lot of my other conversations to. And today I'm anchoring my AI related conversations to the framework because what's been reiterated to me over time, because I tried to retire it several times because I kind of get tired of talking about the same stuff over and over again. But people kept saying that it, it was kind of a simple way to think about the broader complexity of helping people do their jobs effectively. And it, I started to use it as an anchor point like other people were using it. And it, it just kind of becomes an interesting way to explain all of the different ways we can try to enable people to be effective at their jobs. And then when it came time to write a book, it just made sense to go to the framework that I've been using as kind of that centerpiece of my strategy for now almost 10 years. And the thing that a lot of people kept asking me to talk more about. So that's where I began. That's a ton of fun though, to be known for this thing, to say, of all the things I could write about, I'm going to go back to this one that has really been a, a core truth for a lot of people, whether you meant, again, when you started out, you had no no vision that it would be like that for one of those slides you throw into any presentation is ever going to be the thing that someone holds to as their source of truth. And that's that's a ton of fun, though, to say, let's go really deep there because that one slide can't tell that whole story. And all the times you talked about it, you probably still didn't tell the whole story. And so to be able to pull that out into a full-length book, that's a ton of fun. So give the audience like a couple of snippets from the book, a couple of big ideas. Here's two or three takeaways you could get. You pick this book up. Here's what you can expect to get from that. Well, I'm told that the modern learning ecosystem <laughs> outlines a practical approach for navigating nonstop workplace change. At least that's what the back of the book says. Yes. But Thank you, publisher. That, that is really the idea of how, and the question that I pose in the book is just how do we keep up? And the reality is, and the reality that I experience as a learning and development practitioner in different contexts, supporting different audiences at different organizations, was just, I don't have the time and the resources to try to solve every problem. And I found myself prioritizing or being prioritized, right? Being told, this is what you have to work on because, or I can only address one or two of these problems. So I'm only going to support part of the audience with part of what they need. And when things started to change for me, it was when I kind of took a step back from the day-to-day -day and the stakeholder demands and compliance requirements and thought about the broader story of how people learn and develop at work, the various different tools people use to solve problems, the various different tools that are available in the average workplace, and how can I take better advantage of them to create an experience that's more like what we experience every day in our personal lives. And I always make the joke that at home, you can solve amazingly complex problems because you have access to the internet. And there's this large curated set of resources, now AI-enabled resources, because people have, have solved problems similar to what you've solved before and they've shared. My refrigerator broke one day and I didn't call a repair person. I didn't go to refrigerator repair school. I went to YouTube, found a person who had a similar problem, followed along, fixed the problem, moved on. And then we go to work and suddenly you can't do that anymore. Your reflexes 
uh, to leverage, you know, Google reflexes and Wikipedia reflexes just aren't there because we haven't filled in that kind of foundational layer of our infrastructure. We haven't made sure that we're effectively curating all of that great information that's in people's heads and within teams and providing it in explicit ways that people can use to solve problems using those problem solving reflexes they naturally have. And we default to the more structured side of training, which has a role to play, but should not be the answer to everything. It should be the last thing we try to do. So when I took that step back and started considering that broader picture and then started piecing it together over time, I started to realize I can move faster. I can handle more problems. I can activate champions across the organization. I don't have to be in the middle of every story. I just have to build the connections that get people what they need when they need it, connect those who need with those who know. And my role started to change. It was about fostering those connections, less about creation of content. We still created a bunch of stuff, but we weren't using that as the default mechanism. So, so that's what the book helps people do. And I still believe, and someone tell me if I'm wrong, I think it's the most personal learning and development book ever written because instead of just talking about theory and how things should be, I take you on the journey that I just explained of me transitioning from an operations manager as a certain perspective on learning and development to a learning and development professional in the most magical place on earth <laughs> to someone working in a higher education contact center environment to eventually being on the technology side of learning and development and what I learned along the way and how this framework starts to shape based on what is and isn't working for me and how I am successful in some cases, how I screw up certain projects. And you basically follow me developing as a learning and development professional. I tell my story and then it evolves into this framework and this strategy that's born out of practical experience and is now being adopted or applied or you know influencing different organizations who've you know picked up the book and found it to be to be useful to them. So basically you'll be reading my story, hopefully laughing along the way. Feel free to find as many back to the future references as you can because mm-hmm. there are a lot in the book. But ultimately, you know, you get to pick and choose what elements help you kind of rethink your strategy a bit and really take advantage of all the tools that you've got in your organization, regardless of what tech you have or what audience you support or what content's available. How can you restructure the way that you enable people to keep pace with the constantly changing needs of the workforce? I'm racking my brain for a great like reference to Back to the Future right now and completely coming up blank other than calling you Biff, which doesn't help at all. You want something fun? Something fun about Back to the Future? Anyone out there who is listening and is a chat GPT subscriber. So if you pay for the paid version of chat GPT for, I have a custom GPT called Learn Geek AI that is trained on 10 years of my content. So all the video scripts, all the articles, all the framework information, I dropped it in as reference information for this custom GPT with a set of instructions. And essentially what it allows you to do is talk to me without talking to me, which is great for everyone. Obviously it's Gen AI, so it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to get everything right. That's why it's providing advice. It's not providing instructions. However, one of the parameters that it operates based on is that every response to a question to Learn Geek AI makes a reference to Back to the Future. So no matter what you ask, it's going to somehow connect the dots between what is an effective micro learning strategy. It's going to provide that information and then somehow connect the dots to Back to the Future. And it's actually scary good at that. Like better than the learning and development thing, finding a way to squeeze back to the future into learning and development related conversations. That's where Gen AI really shines, in my opinion. And in one one moment when I was testing it, it pulled the cartoon 
<laughs> it made a reference to the Back to the Future cartoon. Who's watched that? But, <laughs> but yeah, so just I'm continuing the thread of Back to the Future related references because I'm obsessed with Back to the Future. It's a perfect movie. Oh, there Fight we go. Me. And but yeah, so that if you want to talk to my chat bot, it will make Back to the Future references or you can instruct it to change movies. So if you prefer What About Bob references, it will do that too. So there we fun go. times, fun times with AI. Baby steps to the elevator. That is my, I have not seen, I have not seen What About Bob in so long. And I've thought my oldest kids are old enough now to watch it, but the younger kids still can't language. Okay. It's shocking how many people get references to that movie. So that's a great one. Cult favorite. Mm, Yes. Okay. So one of the things I want to ask you about, because you are, as you talk to this journey that you've taken, you are now like entrenched and steeped in the learning technology space. It's what you do every day. You see the landscape, you talk to employers who are trying to figure out how to make these things fit together, all that good stuff. One of the things that we have seen, this interesting evolution, I'll call it, in the last few years, I've seen it. First time, I was like, oh, interesting. The second time, I was like, okay, that's kind of worth noticing. And then now, it's almost like a standard thing I expect to hear and see in the research is that as we're talking to talent leaders, we're talking to learning leaders, increasingly, they're saying, the impact I have as a leader, that my team has the function that we're having as contributors, all that good stuff, the impact we're having isn't in spite of or additive to the technology. It's because of the technology and tools we're using. That's how we're able to have so much impact. And if you were to take me tomorrow and say, I need you to do this work, but I want to strip away those tools, it'd be like, give me a rotary phone and trying to do this. I could not make that happen. And I wanted to get your take on that because... Like, are you seeing the same kind of thing? Are you hearing that from the companies using using these technologies and things? Just because it seems to be this, this shift has become the example you're talking about, ChatGPT and some of these other things that you're using to support the community. I'm seeing more of them saying, like, this is a definite necessity, not just a nice to have, not a necessary evil, not just a got to find a vendor, but I need this thing because I want to have that impact on our people. Just kind of what's your take on that? Are you seeing that as well? Are you hearing that? And what do you think? From what I've seen, we've definitely shoved forward in terms of the meaningful application of technology to enable effective performance in the workplace, especially as a result of the past couple of years. I think the past couple of years was a bit, not only did it change in some cases how work is done, it introduced more of a hybrid scenario. You know, I think the remote work trend is sliding the other direction. So it's more in talent development, learning and development about working with, you know, providing an equitable experience across the different ways work is done, inclusive of office-based workers, hybrid workers, and frontline workers, because they all have meaningfully different experiences. But I think it's kind of this interesting nexus or confluence of, of circumstance, right? Where the nature of work shifted around on us very quickly. A lot of that required a technology-based solution to be able to just keep moving forward, especially in the case of people working remotely. And then there are a lot of questions asked, and I'll use the frontline employee base as an example, where Suddenly we realized, we, we knew, but we, we hadn't been impacted by kind of simple limitations of our kind of existing tool set. So just use this, the example of if the executive team wants to talk to the entire frontline workforce, how did you do that before? Usually the answer was, well, the message comes from the executive team, goes to the corporate comms people. They then post something on the internet that most people don't see because you don't use the internet as part of your day-to-day work. And then they send an email through to district management who forwards the email down to frontline management, who then in a team huddle somewhere might relay the information and then post it on a bulletin board. That was frontline communication strategy in 2019. That does not keep pace with what happened subsequent to 2019, right? So suddenly organizations looked around and said, why can't 
we do this more effectively? Why can't we scale? Why can't we move faster? These are solved problems in the technology world, but we haven't reimagined the work experience around those capabilities. So now we've gone from a world where we're posting things on bulletin boards to communicate to the essential team that brings our visions to life every day, to a world where more and more organizations are building super applications, where you're taking all of these disparate capabilities, the HR team's capabilities, the learning team capabilities, the operational capabilities, and bringing them together into a unified digital experience that's on smartphones in people's pockets. None of that's necessarily new capability. We just didn't step back to rethink the work experience and realize how we can make meaningful improvements and not just people's performance and satisfaction and retention, operational improvements and business outcome improvements by shifting the way we think about technology enabled work. So I think we suddenly have these capabilities, mobile has come in on its own. A lot of mobile technology is introduced as a result of the pandemic. Walk around a grocery store nowadays and count the mobile devices. Right, significant screenage going on in a lot of different workplaces, in addition to folks like me who sit in front of a screen most of the day. So I think we've been able to take advantage of some of those shifts in technology, the introduction of new technologies in different parts of the workplace, and start to reimagine how we can use that technology to enable work. We have to get beyond the world where, in the past, learning technology was a locker for digital content, and it wasn't part of the job. And you might go there sometimes, but how much time do you really have to go there? And what's the motivation to go over there? Do they really have anything in there that I can find that's useful to me? To a world where learning capabilities are now part of a bigger operational technology strategy. That's why I dropped a video on YouTube that was nine predictions for L&D in 2024. Because don't you have to predict things? At the beginning of every year, everyone does it. So I just I took a slightly different angle on it because I think most predictions are either wish lists or promotional content for whatever the author sells. That's what a lot of predictions are in every industry. It's not an L&D or HR thing. It's every industry does that. But one of the predictions I made was I think based on that kind of confluence of realities, right, this blending of different technologies, the in- introduction of AI and the FOMO associated with it, but also the capability associated with Gen AI, I think we're about to see learning tech start to fade into the operational tech stack. So instead of having to live on its own or under the HR umbrella, I believe more and more organizations are going to recognize that learning is an operational conversation. It's not an HR conversation. And the tools should sit alongside one another because what's really the difference between your comms application and your learning application? Shouldn't they be part of the same story, not have similar but not capability? One's SCORM, one's not. What's happening here, right? Where's my schedule is over here, right? Where's my workforce management tool? I see that blend start meaningfully this year and the consolidation start, especially because organizations are looking at cost cutting. They're looking at simplifying the tech stack. They don't want to have 15 tools if three will do the trick, but they're not willing to give up capability in that trade. So that's where I think we're going to start seeing a, a more and more meaningful consolidation of the digital experience of work. You see that with Teams. You see that with a lot of these frontline super apps. And I believe that's going to bring the learning side of digital work closer to the operational side, not leave it in the HR bucket, because I believe learning and development is an ops thing, not an HR thing. But that's how I see tech evolving and kind of the perspective around tech evolving. So can I challenge you on that a little bit? Yeah, I ask you, I guess, a follow-up to, related to it. So do you think that is more heavily true 
because the story that you're the picture you're painting here, I guess, seems very accurate to me from a frontline perspective. That seems to make sense. That's what we're seeing across some of the different companies we work with and we talk to. Mm-hmm. But do you think the same thing is true for those workers who are not on a front line? It makes sense to me that they're, and we're seeing some of our data on the front line that they are getting more, more learning on their mobile device or using that for more things at work. But I wonder about those of us who are in more traditional jobs or in desk jobs, what do you want to call mm-hmm. them? That may not be the case. Those companies are still saying, nope, learning still happens in a course. Go take that three hours because that's exactly how long it takes you to learn this one skill. Yeah. Like those kinds of things that we've always done. I wonder if those are as shaken up. Maybe you can prove me wrong here. I'd just love to know what your thoughts are. I think it's moving faster in the frontline workforce for a variety of reasons. One, they're not carrying the baggage of learning technology for the past 30 years. Okay. In a lot of cases, learning tech might be new in a frontline environment, or it's been very simple in a frontline environment, and the knowledge and skill requirements are much more concrete. I can tell you exactly what a cashier needs to know in a retail store. I cannot list for you exactly what a marketing manager needs to know to be successful in this organization. Mm -hmm. Skill requirements get very fluffy when you start to move into the corporate side of of the workforce with a very concrete in the frontline. So there's the concrete nature of frontline learning and development. There's the operational tool set that exists around that's been augmented with more devices and more software for the past couple of years. And there's that kind of natural blend that takes place based on the fact that I already live in a digitally enabled workplace, but how do I bring that closer to my day to day? Because I can't decide to go take three hours to complete a course. I'm scheduled for eight hours today and I have to spend those eight hours completing tasks. So there's an imperative for figuring out how to fit this learning and development experience around the operational experience. I believe the same transition is going to be enabled across the workforce. Just look at the nature of how AI could potentially influence our work tools, right? Look what tools like a co-pilot can start to do. The last thing that we need are nine chatbots from across the organization. And that's something I've said about chatbots before the Gen AI conversation began. I don't wanna work in a world where we've got an HR chatbot and an operations chatbot and a learning chatbot, and I have to go into each person's platform in order to use these tools and with a different interface. Like that's what we would normally do in corporate, right? We'd silo away and then apply. I think this iteration of technology is gonna overwhelm that. And it's gonna be more about the organizations information, the organization's capabilities. Why should I go to an HR platform and tell an HR chatbot to request time off when I'm using a different chatbot for my day-to-day activities or a different platform or interface for my day-to-day work and collaboration? So it's not necessarily that the tech goes away, but I think you'll start to see it fold unto itself, where it's more about the kind of deep data and functionality coming out of these different systems, but manifesting in that overall operational layer instead of it manifesting in an HR layer or manifesting in a marketing layer, right? It's about where I do my work every day. How does these capabilities plug into that? And that's the same story we're seeing on the front line, but I think it's more defined, accelerated. There's a clear ROI in doing it. So I think we can actually learn from that experience and how that digital enablement of work is changing. And then what does it look like for other parts of the organization? Because we do work in meaningfully different ways. So our tools should reflect that versus having to be forced into one version or another. But I do think that's where we're going, just at different paces in different ways. I really love that answer. I think about the, the frontline piece you're talking about here. And there are people who hear frontline and think, oh, well, that's you know, this lower skill. That's very simple. And like in some cases, it is simpler and more well-defined. You go serve a table for eight and a half hours I, and tell me that that's a simple job. 
I was going to say there are those that think that, but the example you're giving here where that's really well-defined, when that person doesn't have the skill they need, it's immediately apparent. It immediately affects revenue. Like That's mm-hmm. why there's so much of an urgency to get that right. If the yeah. marketing manager does something wrong, we may not know it for six months until we find out <laughs> that campaign was a complete fail. And yeah. so I like that your comments here about this being... Hey, if we're trying it here and it's working, we should be doing this elsewhere because that impact we're having, the opportunity for benefit is the same opportunity for benefit across the organization. We just can prove it here more more readily, more easily on the frontline piece. Yeah. Same is true, I believe, for the skills conversation, because I think skills and ontologies and taxonomies, they get very squishy when you look at corporate employees. And even two people, let's just take our own teams, like instructional designers, right? Show me an instructional designer in two different organizations, and I'll show you people with two wildly different job descriptions and skill requirements in order to execute, right? One's, one person's going to be more of a project manager, designer. The other person's going to be more of a content developer, media developer person, right? So there's so wildly disparate jobs and capabilities and styles of delivery. Let's take presentation skills as one of those fun, generic examples that people use. Let's try to codify what good presentation skills are. That's really hard. But if I go into a logistics operation and go into the warehouse and we talk about safety, I can tell you exactly what the behaviors to lift safely are, how to drive a lift truck safely. Like it's the skill requirements of this category of work are so much more crisply and clearly defined and measured that I think we can learn a lot from it in terms of how we think about skill-based strategy, skill-based talent management, and the like in other parts of the operation versus what we naturally do is we start on the corporate side because it's smaller in scale, easier to wrap our arms around in a lot of cases. And then we try to figure out how it works on the other side. I think there's a lot we can learn from frontline enablement strategies and the challenges that people face, especially because you're often dealing at scale, right? If you're a large grocery chain, you might have 300,000 employees across 40 states. That's a hard math problem to solve as opposed to your 5,000 corporate employees who all work in the same building. That's a lot easier when you think about it. But those 5,000 people, do 3,000 different jobs. Those 200,000 people in the stores, I think I'm using different math. The 200,000 people in the stores, they might do seven jobs, right? So it's it's different math. But yeah, I think it's, you know, dealing at scale has always, I think, been a challenge and not doing scale and being generic, right? How do you do scale at a personal level, at the right fit level? And I think we're in a place where we can meaningfully explore that from a technology perspective. Yes, that's been the excitement for me is for a long time, if you asked anyone, would you want work to be a little more tailored, more personalized for your people on the front line? Yes. But the technology may not have been ready to support that. Now it is. Now it has the capability. Now it is able to do that. And it unlocks a different level of connection with those, those individuals. And there's, there's simple things, especially when you talk about the Gen AI conversation. How many times have you read a standard operating procedure and just not understood what happened there? What? What am I supposed to do? Because a lot of times that technical documentation is written for legal approval by people who are very smart, but have never done the job or don't understand the people who are doing the job. And the fact that in a lot of cases, and this is in my background, half of my career spent working with people who don't speak English as a first language or maybe a varying levels of educational background. So how do you take someone who has different types of reading capability and say, read the SOP? Okay. And most organizations don't translate the SOP into every possible language someone might need it in at the reading level of every possible employee. Gen AI can. That's one of the really interesting use cases is, well, if I'm an an employee on the front line and I need to understand how this process works, 
but I, I don't have access to the SOP. I don't speak English very well. I can't understand the technical documentation. Well, suddenly I can ask a question in my preferred language and get an answer back in my preferred language at my level of reading capability. But it's still the accurate information I need to do the job, just like I asked someone next to me who's very knowledgeable and can speak my language. So it's leveling the playing field with simple things like that is some of the stuff I, I think is most exciting because I'm a big fan of infrastructure. And like I said, with my framework, like making sure all of those nuts and bolts are in place so we can build up on top of them. But I think no matter how great your programs are and structured training is, if we're missing those foundational capabilities where someone just can't understand the information for whatever reason, we're playing from behind. That's not fair and that's not equitable. So I think there's a lot to be gained with even just basic capabilities that are being introduced that fundamentally change the game when it comes to how we support and enable I'm thrilled to hear this because we just finished some interesting research on frontline talent development. And I'm pulling, as I'm hearing you talk through some of these key things, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm curious what the data say on that. We ask questions about understanding training materials and language mm-hmm. barriers and like the, all those different kinds of things you're talking about that some of us take for granted. Again, you may think it's more sophisticated to do work like you and I do, where we're sitting in a desk and in front of a computer. It's, it feels more sophisticated than someone who's waiting a table, someone who's stocking a shelf, whatever else. But some of those other nuances and details and challenges they face, we don't face in our day-to-day. Chances of me running across someone who does not speak my native language and like that's just not going to happen probably in most of my days. And so I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to worry about it. But for those I, others, that could be a day-to-day challenge. They're trying to figure out, okay, what was that word again? And how do I, okay, I work with someone who's hearing impaired. How do I sign this again? And just knowing those things, it, we take that for granted, for sure. Yeah. I, I want to make sure that you know everyone's job is hard, yeah. right? So I don't want to make it sound like one job is necessarily harder than the other, but the reality is that some are harder than others, right? And I'll just use myself as the example. I can confidently say that managing a custodial team on Sunset Boulevard, Disney's Hollywood Studios is significantly more difficult than sitting here talking about these things with you, right? And I can just imagine what I could have been able to do with some of the tools that we're talking about because of the types of teams that I was managing, the type of work that we were doing, being able to do that job more effectively, to have a better relationship, to communicate more effectively with my team, to not have to do as much guessing as I had to do and feel like you know, I wasn't doing the best job I could because in a lot of cases I couldn't meaningfully communicate with the people that I was working with. I tried or I had intermediaries. And as an L&D professional, it was a very different experience to stand up there and, and I facilitated classes that were live translated. So I would say something and the person next to me spoke Haitian Creole, then translate what I said to the audience who primarily spoke Haitian Creole. That's how we, we went about it. And I think you just get a certain sense of understanding of what people try to deal with and those foundational challenges that I just want to understand. I just want access to the information. I just want to understand the information before we can then build up from there and talk about more advanced skills and different types of work and things like that. So I think there's a lot of the foundational challenges that we can finally solve. And even as a speaker today, I'm excited about the ability that I don't have to rely on conference organizers anymore for certain things when it comes to accessibility and equity, right? I can caption my own presentations now, thanks to this type of technology. I don't have to worry about the organizers having that set up. We're inching closer to a world where I might be able to live translate myself into any language because I don't know what your preferred language is if you sit down in the room and I can't speak anything else. But if I can provide a tool that would allow you to hear me in whatever language you prefer, we're that much closer and I'm hopefully providing that much more value to you. So it's these things that I think we've taken for granted is, ah, that's just the challenge. That's just the way things work. It's hard. 
we can look at those problems differently now and how those impact people's kind of baseline experience of work. So very exciting stuff. In addition to the more advanced, you know, we can write poems with AI. Now, I don't know if you heard, we can write poems. Yes. Even it always comes down to poems. To, uh, I've been to a lot of demos and a lot of webinars. And at some point, everyone writes a poem with AI. I've done it. You've done it. I've written a Taylor Swift style song <laughs> there it is. about HR. That's as close as I've gotten to a poem now. If you're like, I want to explain this concept, but in the voice of Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> <laughs> it can do that for you. That's great too. I said Matthew McConaughey because he just announced as the opening keynote at ATD24 in New Orleans. There we go. All right, all right, all right. All right. Okay. So you've mentioned so much fun stuff here today, like the, the GPT with LearnGeek and some of the other kinds of things. If someone wants to connect with you, follow up, follow your work, get back to the future references, what's the best way for them to do that? Tons of value coming from me. <laughs> so you can find me online. So LearnGeeks at LearnGeek.co, Exonify is at Exonify.com. I'm always all over LinkedIn. So let's connect on LinkedIn. I'm easily found there. Basically, if you Google JD Dillon, I'm not the guy who sells boots. I'm the other one. So other uh, yeah, and ha happy to connect, happy to chat and share. And, and basically, like I said at the beginning, like I, I see hopefully the value I can provide in my job is to help people who help people. So anything I can do to help your organization or have conversations about these types of things, especially if you enable a frontline workforce, always happy to help out. Wonderful. Good stuff. Thank you again for joining me, for sharing your insight, for giving some encouragement to the leaders listening in here. I got some great takeaways myself, some, some awesome notes, and appreciate you for hanging out with us. My pleasure. And before we go, the modern learning ecosystem available at jdwroteabook.com. That's the real website. I always need to clarify. People think I'm joking when I say my book website is jdwroteabook.com. It is jdwroteabook.com. My next book will be available at jdwroteanotherbook.com. <laughs> I'm going to go buy JD also wrote a book.com just in case. I own JD wrote another book.com. It's there. Right I'm sure you did. I'm yep. sure you did. Awesome. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you. To everybody else out there, go out there, support your workforce. Think about some of the critical things that JD shared today because I know they're good takeaways for all of us to think about and put into practice day to day. We'll catch you again next time on We Are Only Human. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com.